0: Good morning. morning. Hope everybody's doing well. It is good to gather in God's house. It is good to worship him. And that is what we are here for. Um, Just a couple of announcements as we begin. I do like to say happy Mother's Day uh, to all the ladies in the church, um, to the moms and the grandmothers and also those who have invested uh, in the lives of people within the church. Um, And if you're. If you're a child of a mother, hopefully that wasn't the first time you heard it this year. So today is Mother's Day. As I said in Sunday school, one of these days I'm going to learn you my humor. So um, Bible study will not meet tonight. Um, So please spend time with family or friends or however you celebrate today. Women of the church will be meeting Tuesday evening at seven o'clock. And the elders will be meeting on May 17th at 5 o'clock. Both of those meetings happen in the Fellowship Hall. Also, Gregory announced last week that Seneca Trail Christian Academy is having their spring festival on the 21st of May from 4.30 to 7.30. Um, We will have a uh, table set up there. And so if you would like to please donate uh, macaroni salad Um, We're going to be serving macaroni salad that evening, Um, so please uh, get with me. We need uh, macaroni salad. They're expecting, they think they're expecting about 100, but they don't think there'll be quite that many, so um, if we could get macaroni salad homemade, Kroger made, Walmart made, whoever made, um, that would be great, so um, just get with me on that. Are there any other announcements? if not, our call to worship is found there in your bulletin, a responsive reading from Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. Let us pray. Righteous God above, we are surrounded by men and women who boast of evil and wickedness. They see their disgrace before you and celebrate. As we gather in your presence, please remind us that all wickedness and evil will be judged before you and that we have life and flourishing in your presence because of the work of our Savior. We have answered your call to praise and worship you in this place. Help us to see that our worship here in your presence is found as worthy as the forever praise that we will offer you in the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, we know that you hear and that you accept the prayers of your people. And so hear and accept this prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs that green book there in the pew before you and and turn to number 109. Evil doers warned. God gives warnings to those who do evil, to those who celebrate evil. And so let us be reminded of that fact that we have heard the warning and accepted the call of Christ by standing to sing Bible song 109, Evil Doers Warned. Please be seated. As we are rooted, as we are founded in Christ, the Holy Spirit points and shines the light of the word into our heart to show us where we fall short of God's glory. And when we find those areas, we are called to confess and to repent and to turn back to him. So let us confess together our sins in this responsive confession. Father, we gather together with the expectant knowledge that through your Son, you freely pardon all who repent and turn to him. We have have sinned against you this week our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have not loved you or others as you told us. Grant us the mercy, the forgiveness, and the cleansing that Jesus gives to those who confess their sin. On that basis, grant that we may continue to worship you in spirit and truth to the glory of your name. Amen. And as we have confessed, hear these words of assurance that Paul gives us from Second Timothy. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church of Rome. Uh, Our reading comes from Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were, in, for if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, in his second letter to the church, he reminded the members of the church in Corinth that God requires cheerfulness in our giving. Because he has given of his riches, we are to give joyfully. We have uh, two ways that you can give. You can either leave uh, your tithes and offerings here, Uh, there's a basket on the altar or a, a plate in the entryway out there, or you can mail in your tithes and offerings Let us take some time now to prayerfully consider how God would have us to give. God and Father above, we do thank you for all that you have provided for us, all that you have given to us, all that you use to sustain us in this world. And Lord, we give to you out of a sense of gratitude, out of a sense of worship, and we ask that you would take what has been given today, use it for your glory, use it for your purposes, use it so that your gospel might be proclaimed to our neighbors and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please take the hymn book, the maroon book there in the pew, and turn to hymn number 236. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. At the time that we are rooted in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And yet at times he holds back the feeling of his presence. And so in those times we cry out for him to descend upon us once again and to remind us that he is always with us. So let's remain standing and sing hymn number 236. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Please be seated. And I have a couple updates uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Please continue to pray for Cohen as he is still in the hospital. Um, The rest of his family uh, moved into a new home and uh, promptly had their vehicle stolen. So please uh, be in prayer for Cohen and for the Bramley family. Um, they're trying to get Cohen's fungal infection under control so they can then put the pick line back in. Um, but uh, please be in prayer for them and just all the difficulties they're going through. Um, please continue to pray for Janie, uh, that she would continue to strengthen uh, for Bill and Nancy as they'll be traveling back this week. Um, please be in prayer for them. For all the graduates as we are moving into graduation season, please be in prayer for them. Um, any other prayer requests? Pray for my niece Chelsea. She just had a baby. Okay. A little girl, and we had to go to the Nick unit over to for mm-hmm. to let it finish. It was five pounds. And... She wasn't early, but she just had a little bit of breathing complications. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Chelsea Blevins. Chelsea Blevins, sorry. Mm-hmm. Be in prayer for her, her daughter who's in NICU. Anything else? How about praying for uh, Albert Lindsay's Albert Lindsay? Yeah. All right. Anything else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of glory and God of majesty, you are holy, holy, holy. And that glory that is part and parcel of your being fills the whole earth. And oftentimes we miss it. We miss the fullness of your glory because we only seek to understand one part of your nature, one aspect of that glory. As you hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, to protect him from that glory as you passed before him. You revealed yourself as the just and the forgiving God. As humans, we can typically only hold one of those attributes before us at a time. Many cultures understand you to be a just God, and they have a strong sense of the fact that just punishment should follow crime. Other cultures, ours included, have a strong sense of your forgiveness of your love. We have a strong sense of grace and forgiveness in the face of sin, oftentimes excusing sin that we should cry out against. But you revealed yourself to Moses as both just and gracious. You are the God who will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. You prom- promised Adam and Eve that death would follow sin and rebellion. You promised that the treason of self-worship would be met with an eternity of living in your presence without the mitigation of your grace. At the same time, you are the God who shows love and grace and forgiveness to those who love you, those who rely upon the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The problem as we see it is that even those who love you fall far short of your glory When speaking of those who have been justified, those who have been forgiven, Paul said that we all fall short of the glory of God. So just and gracious God, we are left with the dilemma. How can you be both just and the one who justifies? The answer is found in the truth that the sacrificial system pointed to the truth of the cross. On the cross, you punish the sins of those who would cry out to you in repentance and belief. From the the cross, your grace pours upon those whom you have called to be sons and daughters of the living God. At the cross, your justice and your grace met. As your holy justice poured in full force upon Jesus, even the sun, the moon and the stars ceased to give light. All of creation looked on in horror as the fullness of your wrath struck blow upon blow for our sins on the sinless one. And when you were satisfied that sins had been punished, the wall that divided your, that divided holy God from sinful humanity was torn in two. Your justice was satisfied so that our sins might be forgiven. What glorious news. What justice. What grace. Help us to understand this reality, drive the truth of that deeply into our hearts so that we cannot help but overflow with the joy of that message. May we be so full of your grace that we do the work of sharing that message with the world around us. Help us to realize that you have called us to scatter the seed of the good news of the cross on the soil, soil that you have prepared according to your glory. Help us to clearly explain to our friends and family the hope that we have. And remind us that we are called to be gardeners and to trust you for the harvest. Remind us, remind me that the only failure in sharing the good news is keeping the treasure to ourselves. We are responsible for planting and for watering the seeds of the gospel. Only you can bring fruit. As we seek to give explanation, Remind us of the hope that is within us. We have the hope of eternal face-to-face communion with you. We have the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. We have the hope that you wipe away our tears. And the hope that you will give us a glimpse of the glory that was found in our sufferings. Lord, I lift before you today these friends, these brothers and sisters who are ailing and suffering under the weight of a broken and sin-soaked world. We lift before you Chelsea Blevins and ask that you be with her daughter in NICU, that you bring healing and strength to her as she as she breathes, as she um, interacts with the world, and, and bring them home soon uh, as a healthy child. We pray for Albert Lindsay and ask that you help him as his home burned down and and help provide for him, help us as part of the community to show your goodness to him through this difficult time, through support, whatever that may look like. We pray for Cohen and for his family. and We ask that you continue to strengthen them in the hope that you are a God who, des- who desires to commune with us. You are a God who offers us protection. You are a God who offers us strength you are a God who offers us comfort. Or for Janie, we ask for your continued strength for her and ask that you would lift her up and continue to, to walk with her and to walk with Ron uh, through this, this chronic difficulty. Lord, we have so many other concerns, concerns that we have on our list, concerns that we carry in our heart, concerns that need to be, that we need to be reminded of your hope in the midst of the hope that comes to us in the gospel, in our being rooted in Christ. Lord, I thank you that you did not leave us under the weight of your justice. I thank you that you have offered us the grace and forgiveness that comes from and through the cross. Help us to live and pursue holiness in the light and the power of that good news. And we lift these prayers to you today. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles. uh, Please take them up and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs uh, 22. We'll, We'll begin in verse 22 of chapter 22. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to take a moment. We talked a little bit about the correlation between this particular section of the book of Proverbs and the Egyptian book, the instructions of Amenemope, or however you pronounce that ancient Egyptian name. Um, and, and we talked about how it, it does seem that there is a correlation that Solomon built uh, this particular section upon the foundation of those teachings. There is another uh, a view as well, and I, was, I meant to bring it up, but I forgot to last week, Um, the reverse relationship could be true as well. It could be that the Egyptians, if this is a later document, that the Egyptians took Solomon's writings and twisted them for their own use. Regardless, the truth still stands, that all truth is God's truth, and we can learn and we can see God in all truth as well. Um, But today we are going to pick up Solomon's teaching in this section in Proverbs chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. (coughs) Excuse me. Do not make friends with a hot tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Do not wear yourself out to get rich, have the wisdom to show restraint, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Do not eat the food of a stingy man, do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Let us pray. Knowable and incomprehensible God, You have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. In the Bible, you have given us the words of life, words that give us direction in presenting ourselves approved and without shame. As we approach this passage in Proverbs 22 and 23, please lead us more and more into godliness. Lead us to endurance so that we might reign with you. Lead us to faithfulness rooted in your faithfulness. Remind us that we are sanctified by truth and that Your Word is truth. Lord, I pray that today You will keep me from irreverent babble and that You will give me the clarity that You have breathed into Your truth. I pray this in the glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Your friends, your passions or desires, and the poor, What do all of these things have in common for us and for Rehoboam? Well, we might tweak or exploit or pursue each of these things in a desire to gather wealth for wealth's sake and for the security that it can bring. Rehoboam was going to be king. He was the son of Solomon, who who Solomon was teaching wisdom so that he might rule wisely in Israel and he was going to be a wealthy man. And what is the temptation with wealth, whether you have a lot or a little? To get more at whatever cost. And so you might choose your friends based upon the wealth that they can bring to you. You might use your desires and pursue them in a way that might bring an idolatrous wealth to you. And you might be tempted to exploit the poor for wealth. And Solomon speaks against those things, specifically against speaking or seeking wealth for wealth's sake. He does so by reminding us in verse 29 that the way to true power and true wealth is through diligent work, something that he has talked to us about before. Diligent saving, diligent work, doing the wise things necessary to amass wealth and security little by little but secondly he warns his son rehoboam that earthly wealth is fleeting in chapter 23 verse 5 and 6 there is a or in verse 5 there's a there's an interesting play on words after he has warned rehoboam don't wear yourself out to get rich he says your eyes will fly to riches and then the last line of the verse says But they will fly off like the eagle. The wealth of this world is fleeting. About the time we have it, we will see that they fly away, that they slip out of our grasp. Jesus says that earthly treasure can be stolen or will go away due to decay. Wealth can be a trap. Love of wealth leads us to all kinds of evil can lead us to evil in the areas of our friends, in the areas of our desires, and in the area of the poor. And so Solomon today warns Rehoboam and warns us, mind your friends, mind your passions, and mind the poor. First, mind your friends. Proverbs 22, 24, 25, and 23, 9, tell Rehoboam to be careful of who he hangs around with. In 23.9, tells, Solomon tells Rehoboam to be wary of how he speaks to the fool. There will be people in your life that you will try to teach wisdom to. Sometimes it's children. Sometimes it's your coworker. Sometimes it's somebody who you see walking into a situation that you have walked into and walked through. And you're just trying to help them out to avoid some of the same difficulties in that situation that you found. And they're going to laugh at you. They're going to scorn. They're going to insult the information that you give. And Solomon tells Rehoboam, don't waste your words on them. Don't waste your time trying to teach somebody who refuses to listen to you the wisdom that I have given. In fact, stay away from them. If somebody scorns wisdom, they're not worth your time. Jesus gave similar instructions in Matthew 10, 14. In Matthew 10, Jesus is getting ready to send the disciples out into the countryside to proclaim the message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, you're going to come to some towns to some people who will reject that message, who don't want to hear it. He says, leave the town. In fact, make sure you don't even carry the dust from the town out of town with you on your sandals, shake off your sandals and leave. But Solomon also calls his son to mind who he chooses as friends in Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, but for a different reason. Rehoboam is to avoid the hot-headed, ill-tempered friend because the danger is that Rehoboam will become like that friend. We have this injunction as well in Psalm 1, 1. There's a progression there of someone who begins by walking alongside the wicked. Then he stands and stops and hangs out for a little while in the way of sinners. And finally, he sits and resides. He sets up house in the seat of scoffers. The progression shows the move from acquaintance to comrade, from mere friend to brothers in arms. The danger for Rehoboam, the danger for us, the danger pointed out by Solomon and by the psalmist is that when we hang around wicked, sinful, foolish people, we are far more likely without the help of the Holy Spirit to become like them than they are to become like us. Part of being in the world, but not of the world, is knowing the difference between acquaintances and friends. Who are we around and who do we take advice from? We need to know people outside the church so that we may take opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel. But when it comes to walking the Christian life, we need people around us who are compatriots in walking along this path, in walking toward holiness, in walking toward faithfulness to God. Those are our true, deep friends. If we are going to become the people we hang out with, and Solomon is arguing that here, we need to make sure that we choose wise, godly friends that will keep us from the idolatry of wealth. So firstly, Solomon tells us to mind our friends. Secondly, mind or guard your passions. Solomon calls Rehoboam to keep his desires in check. And he looks at two Similar examples, as he calls into this in chapter 23, examples centered around a dinner party. In the first example, in verses one through three of chapter 23, the, the picture is somebody who's been invited to dine with a, an important person, a ruler. And Solomon says, take a look at what is before you. You'll notice that on the table are spread the delicacies That only rich people can bring. In fact, this situation is similar in both examples. But in this first example, Solomon. In very graphic terms. Counsel's restraint, he said, put a knife to your throat. If you are given to gluttony, it's like Jesus in the Gospels. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Take drastic measures to show restraint. If you are given to gluttony because you are being watched. And your desires may lead the important person, the ruler, to look down on you. If you want to see my lack of self-control on stunning and absolute display, invite me to your sports event party that has the spread of finger food and hors d'oeuvres out for everybody to take and to pick at all night long. You'll find me later in the party When I think nobody's watching, just kind of hovering around the table, grabbing a little bit here, grabbing a little bit there, going home much heavier than I arrived. Solomon is warning against that very thing right there, reminding Rehoboam you're being watched, you're being judged. In Galatians chapter five, turn there with me now, if you will, in Galatians chapter five, we see after Paul gives uh, the list of the work of the wickedness, he gives the list, the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is goodness, is faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's verse 22 of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I believe Solomon is dealing with self-control here when he talks to Boehm. The other situation he gives is a similar situation with the same dinner party, except instead of a ruler who is being gracious and watching you, you have the stingy man who is counting the cost of every single little bit and piece that you eat. Imagine if Scrooge threw a dinner party. When you realize that he cares more about how much you cost him that evening, you'll be so repulsed that you will want to vomit up and give him back what little bit he thinks you cost him. Both of these deal with self-control. I truly believe that self-control is in our culture the most overlooked fruit of the spirit. It comes at the end of the list. And by the time we get there, we're so bogged down by our lack of love, our lack of joy, our lack of peace, our lack of patience, our lack of kindness, our lack of goodness, our lack of faithfulness, our lack of gentleness that, oh, my goodness, I don't even have time to worry about self-control. Sexual incontinence, substance abuse, obesity, alcoholism, you name it, lack of self-control is rampant in our society. And those are the easy ones to name. What about the acceptable lacks of self-control that run throughout our society? Please don't talk to me about caffeine addiction. Please don't talk to me about sugar addiction. Potato chip addiction. Gluttony. God calls us to live lives of spirit led and spirit empowered self-control. You and I are new creatures in Christ. Binge watching the latest series on your streaming service of choice is a habit that you are God empowered to conquer. Endless scrolling through social media is a habit you are spirit empowered to conquer. You have been given the power of the cross to turn the TV off or wake up early enough to spend time with God or you fill in the blank with where you struggle with self-control. What passion or desire has control over you that God has empowered you to gain self-control in? Repent and in Christ pursue self-control. Mind your friends. Mind your passions. Mind the poor. What do we think about the poor? Solomon opens and closes this passage with a call to avoid exploitation of the poor. poor. Our English word exploit is a little bit weak because the word literally means violently rob. It means to go in full force eliminating whoever stands in your way and take from them what is theirs. Ahab at the end of the book of first Kings gets mad because he wants to buy a vineyard next to the Northern Kingdom's palace. And the owner says, no, this is my land. I am not selling it. And he goes up to his room and he lays down on his bed and he sulks. And his wife comes in and says, what's wrong? He goes, well, I want that property and he won't sell it to me. And Jezebel says, well, give me a minute. She goes downstairs. She Pays people to accuse him, the the property owner of things that he did not do, has him executed officially and takes his property and says, here, it's yours. That's the picture that Solomon has given to Rehoboam. Do not exploit the poor. You will have the power to take whatever you want by force. Don't do it. In our culture today, predatory loan practices is an example of exploiting the poor. Now Solomon references land again in this particular passage. He says, don't move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers in verse 28. And then verse 10 and 11, he says of 23, he says, don't move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Back in Solomon's time, they didn't have surveyors and and plats on file at the county courthouse. You had a pile of rocks at the corner of your property, another pile of rocks at the other corner of your property. You drew a line between the two, and that was the boundary line between my property and your property. And it was really easy to do, but hard to catch for me to come out around supper time and look to the left. Look to the right. Nobody's there and kick your rock a little bit in the right direction to give me just a little bit more property. You're never going to know because it might be a while before you get all the way back out to that part of your property and the grass may have grown over the, the place where the rock had sat for 400 years. And you know what? I just stole a little bit of your land. But if I did that to a widow who her only way to gain sustenance was to. Lend out the land to people for food and for money that they could raise crops on there. Or I did it to a young boy who was an orphan who wasn't quite ready and able to take care of the land himself, but was going to as soon as he came of age. I would be exploiting the poor. And Solomon says God takes this seriously enough that he will be the one. Who exploits you for what you have done to the poor. He also, Solomon also mentions in there the surety ship, the, the, the co-signing for a loan that you shouldn't co-sign for as a means of exploiting the poor. We've dealt with that before. Don't try to get rich off of co-signing for a difficult and dangerous loan. You might find yourself poor as well. But this idea of moving boundary stones, this idea of not exploiting the poor is something that's not new to Solomon for the people of Israel. It showed up in the law all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. Don't exploit the poor. Not moving boundary stones is, is actually something in the book of Deuteronomy that if you do, if you violate it, will bring God's full wrath upon you. God cares about whether or not Israel exploits the poor. Why? Every single time God says don't exploit the poor or take care of the stranger and the foreigner in your land, He says it is because I rescued you in the midst of your poverty. I redeemed you from slavery in Egypt when you were being exploited for your poverty. And then in Deuteronomy 7 Beginning in verse 7, he's saying, do you want to know why I did it? Do you want to know why I rescued you? He says, I did not set my affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your forefathers that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. God says, Remember where you came from. You were destitute. You had nothing and the Egyptians exploited you for that. And it was out of that situation that I rescued you and judged the Egyptians. So be kind to those who are destitute. Be kind to those who are needy and don't steal from them because just as I did to the Egyptians, I will do to you if you do that very thing. That message tweaked, however, comes to us as well. Our reading earlier from Romans 5 reminds us that we were in the same spot. We were destitute in the poverty of our sins. We were exploited by the enemy for his joy and for his pleasure. And yet God reached into that by the power of the cross. And Paul says, while we were still sinners, While we were still rebels, while we were still traitors, while we were still shaking our fist in God's face, basically saying, I hate you. God showed his love to us. By Christ dying for us. We are to have compassion on the poor and needy because God has had compassion upon us in the poverty of our sins. And of course, the greatest poverty that the poor and the needy, the wealthy have. Is that we're all on equal footing before God, destitute and needy in the midst of our sin. And we need Jesus. Mind who your friends are. Mind how you follow your passions and mind how you treat the poor. In James 2, James talks about the relationship between faith and works. And he comes to the conclusion that faith without works is dead. In other words, he says, if we claim to have faith, but it doesn't show itself in outward acts of holiness and compassion, well, then we may not really have faith. I ask you today, does your faith show itself in how you choose your friends? in how you pursue and exercise self-control, and in how you treat those who are both economically and spiritually poor. Solomon brings these three areas of life before us and before his son in today's passage and calls us to wisdom in each of them. Mind your friends, mind your passions, mind the poor. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these reminders, these reminders that you have called us out of the poverty of our sins and showered love upon us when we did anything but love you. And because of that, because of us being rooted in Christ and the cross, we are to pursue godly friends. We are to to bring our passions under self-control and we are to bring the riches of the gospel and the riches that you have given us material riches to the poor. Help us to honor and glorify you and live wise lives in each of these areas. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. We have been talking uh, in Sunday school about being in Christ today. And one of the things that was brought up is that we are bound together as a family in Christ. And so let us take the the hymn book and sing of that reality by turning to hymn number 473. Blessed be the tie that binds. Let us stand and sing. you go this week as you seek to walk the path of self-control of choosing wise friends and of being wise with your wealth take this blessing upon you the Lord will rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his kingdom the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you and as we long for the new heavens and the new earth we cry out come quickly Lord Jesus amen